Welcome back to Understanding Childhood Cancer. I'm Dr Jeff. I'm a paediatric oncologist at the Children's Hospital at Westmead in Sydney in New South Wales in Australia. But this is my private sort of exercise, this podcast. It's not sort of hospital policy or something like that. But anyway, this is my podcast. It's mostly for the parents of children who are being treated for cancer or leukaemia. And this year I've done a whole lot of episodes on a whole lot of terrible diseases and terrible treatments and side effects and miserable things and I hope it's ended up being helpful for people who've listened. But today I want to talk about something that's a bit a bit lighter, a bit, uh, a bit more festive because let's face it, Christmas is coming, it's the end of the year, there's New Year, uh, this is a, a special time of year. And so today I want to talk about Christmas and in particular I want to talk about uh, this whole question of, uh, you know, giving people presents at Christmas in the hospital. Now, I know some of you won't be into Christmas. Some of you will be from different religions or some of you will just not be into it. And So I guess I'm mostly talking to people from a sort of Western tradition, maybe a Christian tradition who for whom Christmas is an important thing and an important time of year. But it seems to me that just about everybody ends up being part of the festivities at Christmas, particularly in children's hospitals. I mean, children's hospitals are, you know, quite interesting places at Christmas time in, uh, in sort of Western sort of countries and Christian communities. Uh, you know, there tends to be a lot of action happening, a lot of uh, visitors and fairies and Santa Clauses and minions and dinosaurs and Barney the dinosaur and all that sort of stuff. There just seems to be a never-ending trail of such people, which is pretty good. Having said that, about the last thing you want to do as a child is be in hospital on Christmas Day. So everyone works pretty hard to keep kids out of hospital at Christmas, if at all possible. But yeah, sometimes they end up stuck in hospital and there's no getting away from it. But anyway, you've seen the title of today's podcast episode, What Not to Give Your Paediatric Oncologist for Christmas. And so first off, I'll get to the point. What not to give the paediatric oncologist? Well, don't give him or her anything. Well, that's the simple answer. If your child is undergoing treatment for cancer or leukemia, well, you've got enough on your plate. It's an ordeal. It's been a terrible time. It's still a terrible time. You're in and out of hospital, you're back and forth to hospital, work's been disrupted, you're generating all sorts of expenses, petrol money, food money, uh, you're not seeing the rest of the family as often, maybe one parent's in one location and one's at the hospital and the other kids are back home and one other child is at the hospital. This is a bad enough time as it is, it's generating expenses as it is. I think it would be fair to say that Pediatric oncologists like me mostly would like to see you concentrating on your family, your children, looking after your monies to look after your family and children. And the next thing to say is that pediatric oncologists as a group, well, I think they mostly consider it a great privilege to be working with children and families in this situation. It's a situation that is often one of great tragedy and often one of great triumph and joy and relief. So most of us would feel privileged to be able to be part of this time in people's lives 
and to be able to contribute as they can. And so the last thing paediatric oncologists really need or expect is to be given gifts by families and children. And so my short answer is don't give the paediatric oncologist anything. And in fact, I'm going to go on in a little while to tell you a whole bunch of people that you should give something to before you ever give anything to a paediatric oncologist. But again, you don't have to give anything to anyone in the hospital. You've got enough on your plate. Nobody expects it. Nobody is disappointed if they don't get stuff. And indeed, most hospitals have all sorts of rules about not being allowed to receive very expensive items and so on. So uh, now... I know that many parents and children uh, derive some joy from expressing gratitude to anyone that's done something good for them and uh, so they may wish to give something. Well, it might be all you need to do is give a card and write on it something that's significant. You know, in this email era, uh, the, the notion of putting pen to paper and writing something down that's heartfelt and significant it's not as automatic as it once was back in the days when people wrote letters in Downton Abbey or Jane Austen novels. So a nicely worded sentiment on a card or something is is uh, very valued and well received. And I guess it's a nice thing for kids to learn not to just think of themselves but to think of others. So it's good training to learn to express gratitude or you know, good wishes to people that are involved in your life. So it's a nice thing to do. But really, that's about all that people really need to think about. The next thing to say is that, you know, the paediatric oncologist is really just one cog in a whole great machine that goes into the care of a child with cancer or leukaemia. Now, it may be that the paediatric oncologist is the one that's sort of identified as sort of, I don't know, the leader of the group or something like that, and oftentimes is the one making the big decisions about, well, what chemotherapy to give and when will we do the scans and what do the scans mean, and so he's in a sort of central role there. But really, there's a huge, great team of people out there that are all playing their role. And in particular today, I want to talk about the unsung heroes that many times parents never encounter and I would like to suggest that if you really do feel the need to buy gifts at this time of year for people and again I would stress that I don't think you should I think you should keep your money and look after your family and look after yourselves and that's how I would have things but if you really do feel the need to buy a box of chocolates for someone or something else uh, then I'm going to talk about my top 12 people that I would have you consider as someone that you might give such a gift to rather than to the paediatric oncologist. Because for all those reasons, I don't think you should give them anything. And I'm one of them, by the way. Now, the only exception to the rule, of course, is if you are on the Forbes rich list or one of the world's great top 100 billionaires or something, well, most paediatric oncology units would not have a fleet of 911 Porsches or a a series of Stradivarius violins that they can draw upon. Well, in those situations, uh, I guess a different analysis might come into play. But no, by and large, I don't think you should give the oncologist anything. Now, needless to say, I'm now going to be the most unpopular paediatric oncologist in the world for suggesting such a thing, because let's face it, everybody likes their chocolates. But anyway, I'm going to tell you a bunch of people that I would suggest you might consider before you consider the paediatric oncologist. And There's a few things about them that I'll say for most of these people. One is that they are 
mostly very dedicated and very expert people who are working in the back rooms of the hospital and oftentimes labouring over decisions and labouring over lab procedures and uh, giving a lot of intellectual and, I would suggest, emotional energies to getting the right answer, knowing that there is a child at the other end of these decisions that have to be made. In most cases, there would be more money available to these people if they could go off into uh, the private sector, for instance. So leave academic, paediatric oncology, medicine and go off into the private sector. Many times they could make more money out there, but no, they choose to stay in the academic medicine system. And oftentimes it's because of their particular dedication to caring for children with cancer. So today I'm particularly going to focus on a group of people that are absolutely critical to caring for a child with cancer, but they're people that the parents and the child very rarely even meet. Now, there are another group of frontline staff, of course, that I'm not going to dwell on as much today. It's not because they're not important, it's because you all know about them. So, first up, the nurses, of course. Paediatric oncology nurses are a critical component to the machinery that cares for a child. They're absolutely priceless. We rely so much on the judgments of experienced paediatric oncology nurses that we just cannot manage without them. All sorts of little things happen along the way and we rely on nurses who have seen a lot and know when things are going right and when things are going wrong and when the central line won't bleed and they can get it to work again. And and these nurses are the ones that spend hours and hours with patients week after week, month after month, and there's often a high emotional burden that's encountered uh, They are with families during good times, during bad times. There's times when there's tension in the air, when things are going badly, when the healthcare system is a frustrating mess, and nurses are there at the front line, and oftentimes they encounter these tensions, they deal with tensions, sometimes they have angry parents, Oftentimes they have grieving parents. It's a tough world, and none of them are there for the big bucks. Uh, next one I'd mention would be the pharmacists. The pharmacists are the ones that are out there checking that the drugs are ordered, that the right drugs are ordered. They're usually part of the sort of three-level check that hospitals have to make sure the right chemotherapy is being ordered. And these are very expert people, and many of them could go into retail pharmacy and set up a shop, and they might make more money there. But no, they choose to stay in the hospital and absolutely valuable people. There's the social workers. Many social workers have, you know, one or two university degrees, training in counselling, psychology, etc. Again, the private system might be a good place to go and get involved in, you know, some sort of psychology, etc. And there might be more money there and less stress, but no, they stay on in paediatric oncology. Uh, there's palliative care teams. There's all the junior doctors. There's all these people as well. But um. I'm not skipping over them, but I'm just not dwelling on them as much today because today I want to talk about these unsung heroes. And in particular, I would really like it if some of these unsung heroes were to hear from the parents and the patients and just hear that uh, you know they exist. And if you want to say, well, thank you for what you're doing, uh, you know, I think that'd be really valuable because I really need these people to feel valued. Uh, you know, we can't do our job without them. And it can be a thankless task in the back room, you know, not normally meeting the patient face-to-face -face or seeing the parents, but they come to know the names of the patients and to know what's going on. And 
Uh, it'd be nice for them to be acknowledged because, like I said, they're not usually in it for the big bucks, but we need to keep them in our healthcare system. And uh, one way we can keep them in the system is for them to feel valued and and to really understand that everybody knows how valuable they really are to the whole team. Okay, so here we go. I'm going to talk about my top 12 uh, groups of people that you might not encounter in, in the day-to-day journey through the healthcare system, but are absolutely priceless. And they're not in any particular order. I'm not saying one is number one and two is number two. They're just in the order that I managed to scrawl them on this piece of paper here. First up, we have the people in the blood bank. You know when we give blood transfusions and platelet transfusions? Well, the blood bank is that part of the hospital that looks after cross-matching the blood, making sure the right unit of blood is prepared, making sure it's CMV negative or not CMV negative, making sure it's irradiated. And these people often work under great pressure and often run around in circles to get platelets and things in for us so the families don't have to wait around for hours and hours or they have to get blood products in in a great emergency. So they're a really valuable group of people. And, you know, if if you were someone who really wanted to give someone a box of chocolates or some sort of a gift, uh, you know, why don't you just say to your pediatric oncologist, look, I'm not giving you anything. Can you give this to your blood bank scientists, please, and say that we value what they do? Next up are the people in the hematology lab. So the hematology lab, so they're the people that do the blood counts, right? And, you know, if children are on chemotherapy, a lot of them are having blood counts done uh, all the time. And uh, there's a whole bunch of people there in the lab and they receive the specimens and then they have to process them and make slides and look at them with a microscope and do all of that sort of work. So the hematology lab scientists are critical to what we do. Or if you really wanted to single out one particular individual... And if your child was treated for leukemia, you might want to identify the flow cytometry scientists. Flow cytometry is done in leukemia mostly and where the bone marrow sample is put through this amazing machine with lasers all over the place and complex computers and it analyzes the cells and it works out what's on the surface of the leukemia cells. And these flow cytometry scientists, they're incredibly skillful and expert people and they're critically important to working out what sort of leukemia is it and is the leukemia going into remission or not. So if your child had leukemia, there's somebody that you might want to send a card to, the flow cytometry scientist or the flow cytometry team. Or also within that whole haematology thing are the people that look after bone marrow for bone marrow transplants. Uh, so they would be called the bone marrow transplant scientists. So if your child's had a bone marrow transplant, they're people that uh, you should know exist that are out there processing the bone marrow, you know, keeping it sterile, purifying it properly, freezing it properly sometimes, doing all of that work. You know, very expert people. And again, people that could possibly get more money in the private sector, out of academic medicine, but choose to stay doing what they're doing. They're priceless to us. Okay, number three. There's a group of people in the cytogenetic lab, the cytogenetic lab. So these are the people that analyze the chromosomes in leukemia cells and tumor cells. They uh, take the tumor sample and they process it and then they can look at it and see if it's got 46 chromosomes or if it's got extra chromosomes or if it's got missing chromosomes and things like that. 
And these people are particularly important in leukemia care, and they also do the neuroblastoma tests, the NMIC analysis usually, uh, by a technique called FISH. And again, very valuable people. The cytogenetic staff, and you could in particular uh, pick out the people that do the leukemic cytogenetics or the neuroblastoma cytogenetics. All right, number four on my list are the porters, right? The porters, these are the people that wheel patients around the hospital and take them from one ward up to x-ray or down to pathology or wherever they're going, up to the operating theatres. The porters, they're a good bunch of people. Couldn't do without them. And, you know, over the weeks and the months, they see children that come in for treatment and they maybe wheel them around a few times and, you know, they get to know people's faces and parents' faces and so on. And, you know, we rely on them. When we want to get someone somewhere quickly, we need porters. Next on my list, the biochemistry lab. So these are the people, you know, when you send a blood sample off and they run it for the sodium level and the potassium level and the kidney function and the liver function and all of that. A very valued group of people. They often have to run tests very urgently, run methotrexate levels, run all sorts of things. So You know, in particular, I can suggest a particular group of patients who uh, have relied on very great expertise in the biochemistry department. So patients with neuroblastoma, for instance, they have a test, a urinary catecholamine level done. This is a test in the urine for chemicals that the tumour makes. So if you wanted to single out the individual who runs the urinary catecholamine test, well, that's someone very important. Or if your child's had a bone marrow transplant, they've probably had cyclosporin levels done or tacrolimus levels done. So the people that run those particular drug levels, very expert people, or the people that do the methotrexate levels, usually there for patients with osteogenic sarcoma or sometimes leukemia or lymphoma, you know, another group within the biochem lab. Okay, number five on my list of people who need a present more than the paediatric oncologist does. And by the way, again, I'm not saying anyone should get a present, but these people deserve it more than I do. They're the people in the nuclear medicine department. So, you know, nuclear medicine, they're the ones that do bone scans and uh, MIBG scans in neuroblastoma and they do PET scans and, and so on. So they're the ones that, you know, give isotopes usually and then take specialised pictures of the patient. Well, the people down there in nuclear medicine that oftentimes are the ones that inject the isotopes, they're the nuclear medicine scientists, uh, very expert people, and uh, they likewise see patients over a period of time and get to know names and faces. And the people down there in nuclear medicine, they're oftentimes agonizing over scans and scan reports. So the nuclear medicine physicians, they're the doctors that report on these scans. They can agonize over scans uh, and bring great expertise to things because decisions have to be right. If you wanted someone else even more obscure within the nuclear medicine department, there'd be the radiopharmaceutical scientist. This is someone who's involved in quality control for these isotopes and working out the right doses of isotopes and the right amounts. And sometimes there's very obscure sorts of isotopes that are used in more uh, technical situations. So the radiopharmaceutical scientist. Number seven on my list are the people in pathology. So here I'm talking about histopathology. These are the people that uh, look at biopsies and process biopsies and 
process tumour samples and make them into slides and look at them with a microscope and analyse them in all sorts of different ways to work out the exact nature of the tumour. And it's an incredibly complicated area and it's constantly evolving and new tests are developing and tumours are being divided into multiple different types and more and more DNA tests are getting added to the mix. And again, histopathologists, these people are very often in the back rooms and have never met the patients or the families, but they have agged over it for hours, showed it to their colleagues, sent it to other experts around the world. And really the buck stops with them as to what sort of tumour are we actually dealing with. And it has critical implications for the whole course of treatment. So the particular doctors down there, the pathologists, they're the histopathology doctors. So if you want to know a doctor that's been very valuable in a child's care, you say, well, who's the histopathologist who reported the initial biopsy? Uh, That's someone critically important. So that's the doctors down there. If you want some other people down there in pathology, there's a few others I could mention. Uh, For instance, when you look at a biopsy, you label it with different antibodies to further refine, well, what sort of tumour is this? And that's a process called immunohistochemistry, immunohistochemistry or IHC. And a big pathology lab will have a scientist or two or three who are particularly involved in preparing these slides for the pathologist to look at. So the immunohistochemistry scientists and very expert people. And again, they could make big bucks out there in a private lab. Uh, Very valuable people. So send them a card. Say, thank you, Mr. Immunohistochemistry Scientist. Or else if a child has an operation and they're taking out tumours, sometimes they send a piece of the tumour down during the operation and it gets frozen so the pathologist can look at a slide just quickly, just a quick slide that's just been frozen so it can be sliced and made into a slide. And that's called a frozen section. Well, if your child's had a big operation for tumour, it's quite possible that a frozen section was done. Well, the frozen section team down there in pathology, they're another group of unsung heroes whom you likely would never encounter but have played a critical role. Okay, number eight on my list of people are the radiology people. These are the people that do x-rays and MRI scans and CT scans and ultrasounds. And so down there in radiology, there's the people that take these pictures, right? They're called radiographers where I come from. They might be called MRI technicians or CT technicians elsewhere. I'm never quite sure. But they're the people that actually take the films, you know, position the child on the bed, line them up and then take the pictures. And great skill required Much more money to be had in the private sector doing knees before people have a knee replacement or a cruciate ligament done, but they choose to stay with us. And then the people that look at the x-rays are the radiologists. So they're doctors, you know, physicians, and then they've done specialist training to be radiologists. And in particular, some of them are MRI radiologists and some are brain tumor radiologists, vital people in the team. And in particular, if you look at radiologists, Uh, The big bucks are not to be had in academic medicine, in paediatric cancer. Now, if you could go off into the private sector and do people's backs and do knees and uh, private sector radiology is a place where, at least in my country, you can make a lot of money. So uh, the radiologists that choose to stay in the team to care for children with cancer, very vital to our group. 
Number nine on my list are the CRAs. They're the Clinical Research Associates, CRAs. Now, CRAs are the people that are involved in running a clinical trial. Oftentimes, the parents and the patient never really meet the CRAs, but if your child has been treated on a clinical trial, well, you should know there's a whole team of people in the oncology unit called the CRAs who look after the running of the trial. And so it may be that the doctor comes and explains, well, what's the clinical trial about? And then presents the information sheets and the consent form and sees if the family want to participate. Well, before it ever got to that point, these CRAs uh, organised the trial, got the protocol, uh, submitted it to the ethics committee or the institutional review board. They drew up the consent forms based on what was sent to them by the research trials group head office and they formatted it all for the local hospital and to put in the local language that the hospital requires and they generated all of that. And to get the trial open, they had to deal with the drug company maybe and have a site initiation visit and document that they had all the facilities to do it. And then when the patient went on the study, well, every step along the way in being in the study, these CRA people, well, they've had to document that the drugs were given and what the scan showed and if there was a an admission to hospital with a side effect. They had to do an urgent report to the ethics committee and to the drug company or the trials organisation. This whole group of people out there called CRAs with this huge, great workload uh, in the back rooms that are required so that we can put children on clinical trials. And like I've said in my clinical trial episodes, we like clinical trials. Through clinical trials, we make progress But for individual children, it's often the way we can access new treatments and novel therapies, and it brings more discipline to the care of children with cancer. So the CRAs are really vital to what we do. So if you wanted to let them know that you know they exist and that you wish them the best for Christmas and New Year, etc., I'm sure they'd be glad to hear it. And in particular, if your own child was on a clinical trial, and particularly if it was one of these Uh, new drug trials or particularly a pharmaceutical industry trial, you know, they're likely to have done a whole lot of stuff in the back room uh, to make sure that everything was done properly. Number 10 on my list of people that deserve a present more than the paediatric oncologist are the surgical team. So perhaps uh, your child has had an operation of some sort. Maybe it was just to put in a central line or maybe it was a 14-hour neuroblastoma dissection or a huge great brain tumour operation. Well, I don't need to tell you then how vital the surgeons are and quite likely you know who the surgeon is and you're encountering the surgeon. Well, they're very expert people, of course. But there's other people in the surgical team that the surgeon relies on enormously. Now, I'm not a surgeon. You know, I don't go up to the operating theatres that much anymore and I can't for sure tell you who the surgeon thinks are the most you know, critically vital people in his group. But I can tell you a few. So in particular, what about those nurses? Uh, We call them the scrub nurses, believe it or not. They're the nurses that stand at the operating theatre table and, you know, and the surgeon says scalpel, they hand the scalpel. And when he asks for the particular clamp or the particular retractor or the particular type of stitch that he wants to use, etc., 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 they're the ones that have it all there. And they're 
amazingly expert people. They need to know what's going to be required for a given operation. They need to predict what might go wrong and have the right equipment there. They work under great pressure. They have surgeons who are working under great pressure. And if something goes wrong, everyone has to respond. So they're called the scrub nurses or uh, the operating theatre nurses, vital people. Or who else, right? What about the people that sterilise all the equipment so that the surgery can take place, right? So all of those clamps and uh, retractors and drapes and gowns and all of that, the people that sterilise stuff uh, so that operations can take place. Nobody ever really meets them face-to-face, but they're there. They're doing a vital job. Number 11 on my list of people who deserve a present more than the paediatric oncologist are the people in the radiation therapy department, radiation oncology. So proportion of children with cancer and leukemia have to have radiotherapy to their tumour and most of the time the uh, radiation oncology doctor has been the main contact in that group but there's also all sorts of other people in the group. There's the people that we call the radiation therapists, right? So the radiation oncologist is the doctor that works out what radiation to give and what dose and from what angle. But then there's a whole team of people that actually make that happen. So there's the radiation therapists. These are the people that are involved in putting the patient onto the table every day and in the the exact right position so the radiation therapy can be given. But there's also ones that are involved in the planning process and uh, mapping out where the tumour is and where the beam should go and so on. And if you wanted someone even more obscure that probably hardly ever meets the patient, there'd be the physicists. There's all these physicists up there in radiation therapy who are keeping a close eye on where the beams should go and what dose the tumour will get and what dose the normal tissues will get. The physicists in radiation oncology, unsung heroes. And finally, number 12 on my list of people who deserve a present more than I do is the paediatric oncologist's secretary. Can you imagine being the secretary for a paediatric oncologist, right? Putting up with people like me. Vital to what we do, you know, scrambling to get stuff together urgently to send it off or ship it off to all over the world. Typing letters, letters that contain good news, letters that contain bad news. Again, oftentimes a group of people who could go out there in the private sector and make the big bucks but for some reason seem quite loyal to what they're doing and I think genuinely they feel they're doing something very valuable and very good for the world and and that's why they bring such dedication to the task. Anyway, so that's my list of unsung heroes for 2015. Uh, There's all sorts of others out there. I'm sure I'm going to offend somebody that I haven't included them. There's the Ethics Committee, right? The Institutional Review Board who, who review every clinical trial and look at whether they consider it ethical to open and, you know, whether the rights of the patients are being respected adequately, all sorts of serious things. Probably not allowed to give them presence and probably amount to some sort of conflict of interest or something. But they work under great pressure from us when things have to happen urgently and we put pressure on them to finalise paperwork urgently, etc. And very grateful for their efforts. But again, like I said at the start... It's Christmas time. This is a time for your own family. You're going through an ordeal as it is. You're generating costs as it is. Think about your own family. Keep the presents for your own family. What not to give a paediatric oncologist? Don't give them anything. Give them a card. That'll do. Some nice words. But if you were someone who felt the need to 
give out gifts or something like that, well, there's a whole bunch of people who deserve it more than the paediatric oncologist does. Again, I did mention the nurses and the pharmacists and the social workers, but they're ones you would have thought of anyway. Anyway, I'll leave it there. If you're listening to this podcast, well, it's quite possible 2015 has been a pretty bad year. Uh, So thinking of you, I hope that Christmas can be a good time. I hope friends and family can be together. And I hope 2016 can be a better year. Thanks again for listening into this episode of Understanding Childhood Cancer. I'm Dr. Jeff, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye now.